0: 755 is real with david o'brien and eric o'flaherty
1: welcome back to 755 is real i'm david o'brien your co-host eric o'flaherty he's out in seattle eric what's up man how you doing i'm great how you doing dave good good man we're getting close two weeks left uh so head south, just over two, two and a half weeks left to we head south for spring training, man. That's the last as you probably remember as a player. I don't know if it was like this as a player, but for me, once you get past Christmas, it seems like you're relaxing and enjoying off season. Yeah. And then once you get past Christmas, it seems like it just snowballs and gets there so quick then. It's just
0: a blur. Uh and January yeah. usually feels like about a week and a half. I think just yeah. you've got so much hanging over you, you gotta pack, find a place to live, you know, get right. down there. Right. Um, on mo- the month and a half never goes by faster than than January for baseball players.
1: And then all the teams are starting to have these fan fest events now. Some had it back when yeah. you played, um, and the Braves have renewed theirs the last few years. And you know, for a lot of the players, like Acuna said, this were the first days he hadn't spent in Venezuela all off season. So they fly here. The young guys do. You know, the older guys don't have to, but the young guys still fly here because he's you know the biggest star on the team along with Freddie. So. He flies here and uh, spends three or four days at, uh, at with Chop Fest and the gala and all that. So for them, I'm sure it is a blur. And then he goes back and then comes back for you know to Florida and gets going or probably going down to Florida from here. So, but yeah, anyway, you go we're for uh, like
0: five days after that, and then you're back on a plane. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I used to ours would go by really fast um, up here. You know, the guys in the northern states because yeah. It would it'd be you know terrible weather, so you just want to get down there so you could do baseball yeah. activities outdoors. So I'd usually go down to Peoria when I was with the Mariners, or Orlando um, with the Braves. I'd go down like January 15th yeah. to 20th anyway. So it's just like the off-season just goes quick.
1: Right. So, yeah, your off season's is actually almost a, a month shorter for all intents and purposes, right? Because you go down there. A lot of guys go down there so early.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you mix in all the, the fan fests and the, the caravans yeah. and things they do, and you're just – You're basically starting the season right now.
1: Well, let's talk about the biggest news of the uh, Braves' past six weeks, really, and arguably as big as anything they did all winter, and that was the signing of uh, outfielder Marcelo Zuna to a one-year, $18 million contract. Of course, it came about a week after the Braves lost Josh Donaldson to free agency. Um, Josh went to the Twins on a four-year, $92 million deal. From my understanding, the Braves did make a four-year offer to JD, but it wasn't for nearly the guaranteed dollars he got from the Twins. He's always hit well in Minnesota. Uh, you know, he all, he knows all about living up north, being in Toronto for all those years, and his girlfriend's from up there, so uh in Canada, which his deal with the twins also included the big I think the the deal breaker for as far as the Braves were concerned, what they weren't gonna match. It it has a sixteen million dollar fifth year option, and he has a eight million dollar buyout. So He's getting $84 million for the first four years of the deal, but he gets an $8 million buyout if they don't pick up that fifth-year option. So that's, there's the $92 million guarantee, which, coincidentally or not, comes out to the exact average annual value of $23 million, which he got last year with the Braves and the, the last year when he was with Toronto to, uh, through arbitration. So there you go. There's a guy that likes making $23 million a year. <laughs> Yeah, Don't we I, <laughs> I, yeah,
0: I wouldn't mind that either. I think that's a good place to be. But, you know, here's a, here's what they wound up doing with Ozuna. And I think the J.D. deal worked out really well last year. You know, um, yeah. if this works out, anything a like that, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. you know, the only thing that I noticed that I didn't love about him backing up Freddie was that he doesn't exactly crush lefties or maybe he just didn't last year. Right, Um, right. He only hit 217 off him with with, um, not a lot of damage either. So sometimes there's just like guys will just have a year where they're just off against lefties. But I would have liked it. You know, I would have liked him being somebody that just mashes lefties. But the good news is um, Freddie mashes lefties. So it's kind of like an opposite split, but it'll still work
1: out. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you look at splits. You know, a guy can have good normal splits for his whole year, and then he has a season, which randomly – and Tyler Flowers has been like that the last two years, where he had a total reversal. He had reverse yeah. splits one year, and then it went back to normal. And it was like extreme both years. And there's really no heads or tails or no rhyme or reason for, for why it happens. And um, like I said, I think just the presence of Ozuna, though, behind Freddie will mean a lot is so much more considerable than what they would have had with anybody else on the team other than Acuna. And this allows you to not even think about moving Acuna from leadoff. And, by the way, I was kind of uh, – I, kind of, uh, I think a lot of fans were happy to hear that uh, Snit said – Brian Snicker said that he wasn't even going to – even if they had not uh, – once Josh Jonathan left and he was thinking about lineup options just before they knew they were getting Ozuna, he said, I hadn't even – Thought about moving Acuna, that he was not going to move Acuna from the leadoff spot. He's going to look to—he would have looked to do something else because last year when he tried to do that, it just didn't work for the whole offense in general. It just—that functions so much better with Acuna in the leadoff spot. So he's staying there.
0: Yeah, I guess it's one of those—if it ain't broke, don't fix it—type of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I—I know we've talked a lot about on here having somebody hit behind Freddie that's got some kind of intimidation factor and some thump. Yeah. And, you saw the difference it made with with having JD back there behind Freddie last year. Um, yeah, but it's you don't want to the way Acuna does in the leadoff spot, man. You don't want to touch that if if yeah. in any way you can avoid that. So, I think that's a smart play.
1: Yeah, you want to and you want Acuna and Freddie Freeman both hitting in the first inning as well. Every and time you got Ozzy up there between them, I mean that's so much speed and power up there at the top of the order. That's. Uh a a pitcher, an opposing pitcher has to be on his game from the first pitch with Acuna coming to play.
0: <laughs> well, the the, the the thing that makes it so awesome for me about that top of the lineup though is the speed from the first two guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um that just that puts a ton of pressure on you as a pitcher when when either one of those guys gets on, you gotta deal with them. Um and if they both get on, it's it's just chaos. They, the Angels used to have Reggie Willis and uh Chone Figgins at the top of their lineup, and yeah. they didn't have the power that Ozzy and um and Acuna have. But you just you knew you couldn't mess up to him because if they got a single, it was it was basically a double. And if somebody hit, you know, a single, they were going to go first to third. Like those guys just ran chaos on the bases. They had um they had Ibar in his prime too, um so they had wow. so much speed. But having that at the top of your lineup, those two guys, and they're also power threats, is just I mean that's hell to deal with as a pitcher. It you it puts pressure on you because you got Freddie lingering right behind him. Um it's it's a tough lineup they already have, and then add Nozuna, um. He's like you said, he's got that intimidation factor. He's a big guy. Yeah. I don't think people realize how big he is, yeah, he's, but he's the big thick.
1: bear. They call him they had the white bear, now they had Al- <laughs> Alonso Blanco. Now they got the big bear. Yeah, he is. He, he is and a he can bear, run man. little bit too. Can he? Yeah, he can run a little bit. I, Look at the stolen he's, bases, and yeah, uh, he's he not what he was, but yeah, he could still uh, get double digits, you know, deceptive. But yeah, he's a presence. There's no doubt. He's I a mean, presence. Uh, that, and people remember, you know, because especially in the NL East. That year he had with the Marlins, that was only, that was only two years ago, 2017, where he was a monster, man. Uh, yeah. You know, if, if, and the Braves think he can get back to that, there's no reason to, he's, that he couldn't. He's 29. He's not, you know, 33, 34 like, uh, JD He's 29 years old. So, right. Um, and he had a finger injury last year, just about a month, I think. So, uh, we'll see there, you know, it's not going to shock anybody. I think it was more surprising to see JD bounce back the way he did because a lot of us doubted whether he could do that after only playing 50 some games the previous year and being 33. Uh if Azuna shot uh bounces back to something close to 2017, I think that would be less of a surprise to most of us than than Josh's bounce back year last year.
0: Well, yeah. And it, he doesn't have the, you know, JD a big thing was a big question mark was the health issues, you know. Yeah. Um I don't know if it exactly. really the had much. He
1: wanted feels chronic.
0: Yeah, he's he's he seems like he's been pretty damn healthy for most of his career. He's played, you know, one hundred forty eight, yeah. one fifty nine, one forty eight, yep. one thirty. Um, the last four years, so he's younger. Uh, I, I wouldn't be afraid of him, you know, health wise at all. Which that was a big question mark with JD. But like you said, I mean, he hit thirty seven homers a couple years ago, and yeah. three. I mean, he he raked. He was an all star and everything like that. So. It's just a matter of getting him back there. I think coming into this new environment, this environment's fun for guys now. I think that's yeah. one thing that's really changed with the Braves the last maybe 10 years is um, the Cardinals are still pretty buttoned down. And you saw it in the playoffs, uh-huh. obviously. Um, certain guys can come into an environment that's more relaxed and more fun and and having Ozzy and Acuna just joking around. Um, that type of stuff can rub off on guys and... and really just you know it can change their whole approach and, and their mindset and and take some of the pressure off but you don't know i mean he, it's a fun team to come to now that there's there's a lot more action there's a lot more animation and things like that than in the past and i think that's kind of starting to be a good thing especially for um you know a guy like like ozuna who's coming off a down year all of a sudden you just come into this fun party there's no spotlight on you and just just see how yeah. you do
1: i asked uh I asked about the the, uh, the Latin factor, too. And and even though guys like J.D. and Freddie and Marquecas get along with everybody on the team and their leadership kind of transcends and BMAC last year, I asked about could it be uh, a nice addition having a veteran Latin guy that these kids yeah. have watched when they were coming up and guys like uh, th- the players themselves plus like said, absolutely. Having a guy that, that Spanish is their first language, their, their language – and having him a, a guy that they grew up uh, idolizing, um, and and if Felix Hernandez were to make the team, same thing. He said th- he said uh, Brian said that could absolutely be a big deal uh, for them to have you know a leader from their one of their countries. So I think that's something too. The to, uh, and just another point where Dansby talks about the chemistry of having guys from all over the world, different backgrounds, to. how it's really integral. And he, and Dansby was the one that welcomed uh, J D with open arms and said from the first day. I think it would be great for us to bring in a guy with a different personality. And in the end it was, everybody agreed. He added a whole lot to the clubhouse and who knows, maybe, uh, maybe uh, Ozuna can do the same thing. Cause he's a little bit different too. Well, I've never, I never
0: played on a winning team that was segregated. Um, yeah. They're, they're, it just happens in the clubhouse. You know, you're going to gravitate toward guys that, that kind of have similar traits as you and, uh, you know maybe from a similar background from the same country and and it's it's right. easy you know as if for the latin guys to come over here and if if they don't have kind of some some buddies that are on the same page and and going through what they're going through it's easy for them to feel isolated and alone and then when they do something you know that that guys criticize and it feels yeah. like it's a target on their back right. um versus having a, an older Right, having an older did, Latin country. guy yeah. that's that's been around can say yeah. like, "Look, man, that's just that's how that's how the games are played here. It's no big deal. Right. It's not personal. Um, you know that that can really take some of the tension off them. And a lot of times, man, the best type of player you can have is a guy that's been around, like a Felix Hernandez or, or Zuna that's been here long enough where um, they're almost speaking perfect English at this point. Uh, like like yeah. Felix can do. Felix can do all his interviews in English and you see him at the mall or something. He's just like, what's up, man. You know? Yeah. Um, it's still uncomfortable to do the interviews and stuff like that for some guys. But um, the, the big thing was like, we always had a Martin Prado who Martin Prado, he understood American yeah. culture so well. Right. He was, he would, he would make jokes about movies like Step and, you know, um, Billy Madison, yeah. just classic oh, yeah. movies that, that everybody knows the lines to. And he he kind of accepted the the humor and he got the humor. So all of a sudden, anything that comes up, everybody can go to Prado. And he's like this ultimate bridge between all kinds of, right. you know, all the cultures in the clubhouse. And, and he just had a great personality. Guys like that are invaluable. And I think pretty much every team should have one. So yeah. I think Ender's almost there. Ender's Ender's pretty close to that. I mean, Ender's got yeah. he's he speaks yeah. incredible English. Just um, hard to
1: do when you're not in the lineup, you know. When he's hurt so much last year,
0: you you don't have the same thump when you're not playing every day. So it, that's yeah. why it's really important to be a guy that's that's um that's really in the mix. But I think every yeah. team should have a guy like that. And and yeah. Ozuna, if if he's if he's that kind of guy, man, he could absolutely add that to the team.
1: So they get him on a one year deal, kind of like Josh last year, a a lot like Josh, and and. They like these one year deals because they think, you know, uh, you get a big salary player, but you don't have the long term commitment and you get a guy that's motivated because obviously he's got a lot of cash riding on it if he can, if he can, uh, parlay that into a multi year deal. So they get a guy they think is motivated and they don't have to block their prospects, which, you know, as the Braves have shown, that's really important to them. So anyway, so now, It's on to to Azuna trying to have a similar value restoration season. Uh, Braves fans know him from the division series, if nothing else, because he killed the Braves in the division series. He he, he came up huge. Had nine hits, a couple of homers. Uh, So they get the cleanup hitter they wanted without the long-term commitment to a free agent and without mortgaging the future by trading multiple prospects. Um, They plan to let Johan Camargo and Austin Riley compete for third base. Because they obviously didn't address third base with uh, with Donaldson leaving, but as we remember, Camargo was pretty solid there in 2018, and Austin Riley, you know, showed in the first six weeks last year when he came up from uh, AAA what he can do when he's on. Um, so we'll see. They're, they're going to let those guys compete at third, and I know people are still waiting around for them to trade for Nolan Arenado or Chris Bryant, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think you know the payroll's up around 150 million now, and going into the season and. I think the Braves are going to sit here, and, and if they could add maybe a, a starting pitcher uh, during during the spring if they need to, I think they would. But otherwise, I think the big moves are probably done for now.
0: I do too, absolutely. But I did see some kind of quote from uh, Anthopolis yeah. the other day. Uh, I guess Terry McGurk had told him if he finds some move that can make the team even better to keep going. Right. And, and it right. seemed like the way he was quoted, you might know the quote, but it seemed like the way he was quoted... Um, He almost said, Really? You know, he wasn't, he didn't know that was on the table. And and he kind of gave him the green light, like, Hey, you know, if you can make this team way better, do it. So I guess you never know. That'd be, I mean, if they added, if they added Arenado or Brian at this point.
1: Yeah. I just can't see it without, I mean, if you do, I don't either. You you could, but uh, you could. And obviously you're going to be the, but I don't know if you need to. (laughs) I don't know if you need to give up the prospects to do it because. I mean, I was watching MLB Network this morning, and three of the four guys picked the NL East, uh, picked the Braves to win the NL East. You know, picked them to win 97 games Uh, in Vegas. They're they're the fourth uh, highest wins total on the over and under. And Vegas guys, you know, usually know what they're talking about. They didn't, uh, as they say, didn't build those billion dollar hotels by by (laughs) missing.
0: I trust Vegas a lot more than than the Uh analysts. I I don't think anybody picked (laughs) the Braves to win the division last year.
1: They didn't the last two years, and they are now. Everybody is so. Congrats. Um, I know it's I know it's easy to be cynical as a fan here when you see them flame out in the first round again. But right. around baseball, that's not the view of the Braves and what they're doing now. And this is a whole different generation of a team, different front office, different, you know, there's a lot of different guys on this. So I don't think their history was what undermined them in the uh, division series against the uh, in a DS, NLDS against the Cardinals. Uh, although I know I fully understand why it's impossible for some people who've been here a long time fans to let that go or media members or whatever. I just don't think that was an, that affected, you know, the, the, the young guys on this team and all that. And, uh, I don't think that had anything to do with that 10 run first inning in game five or all those missed opportunities in games four. So anyway, uh, I I think what that means, and McGurk's comment to uh, Alex, I think he will take that into full consideration during the season if he needs to make a move. Because I can see the Braves making another huge move during the season, like they did with Keuchel, and then adding the three relievers at the deadline. I see them if they were to fall back at all, uh, or or similarly, if they had a chance, if they were like say a game ahead of the nats as the deadline approaches and there was an obvious need where they can make a big move and and kind of uh put them over the top i can see them doing that for sure and adding another 15 20 million to the payroll
0: yeah you never know what's going to happen with you know yeah. injuries and all that type of stuff so it's yeah. nice to have it's nice to have some options versus if you you know if, even if you think they got 15 20 right now when a guy gets hurt you still pay him so you yeah. you kind of need a little bit of a cushion to 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 pad your roster a little bit. If you lose a guy that's important and so much stuff even happens in spring training, you just, it's so hard to predict the baseball season. You can never be too prepared, but, um, they like the depth
1: they have for that for spring training because of that, you know, because you could lose somebody and still like the outfield depth for instance, for instance, they're, they're not in a hurry. To get rid of one of these guys, even though they obviously have a surplus right now. If, they, but the 26 man is going to help in that regard too. If you want to carry one of those guys into oh, the yeah. season
0: so they can restore some
1: trade value, yeah, you can carry Ender or Marquekus or Deval now. Uh, whereas before you couldn't really justify that on a 25 man roster.
0: Yeah. I, for, I, I keep forgetting about that 26 yeah. spot, man. That's huge.
1: And the relievers you have. You don't really need to carry a, that extra reliever like you would have in the past because you got reliable guys now that can go full innings. You know, especially with that new rule, the uh, three batter rule minimum rule. Yeah, the Loogie's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there it's goes your goal, uh, hopes for a comeback, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm not making a big comeback here. <laughs> All
1: right. So listen, Azun, Even though he last year wasn't. Uh, Obviously, 2017, he was a, he was a, he was a, uh, MVP, uh, caliber type guy. Last year, he was down the last two years of Cardinals. He didn't really, uh, match that performance, but over the last three years, this is a guy with 89 homers and 301 RBIs. So you can understand why he's penciled in to play every day. Him and Acuna, uh, are the everyday guys in the outfield. And and Alex said that it'll be up to Snit to divvy up the rest of the playing time. So I can you know, there's gonna be scenarios where obviously Acuna's gonna be you know, he's gonna be the right fielder. Uh they've got they've got Azuna as the left fielder every day. Then I can see some scenarios where Acuna moves over to center and enders on the bench in certain matchups, you know, and Duval or Marquez is in right, you know. Or you know the good occasion. thing
0: about um Acuna? <laughs> I exactly. don't see him caring Everything. one bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh all of no, it. exactly. But I don't
0: see him. I mean, they could or put him at shortstop, hits. and he'd just be like, "Cool, I'll I'll, get, I'll do my best." It, it or doesn't or where seem he hits. like right. He won't care where he hits. He won't right. care where they play him. So, yep. that's a nice yep. thing to have with a guy that's carefree like that, where you can throw him in right field, center field. They could probably put him in left, and he's yep. never, he's not the kind of guy that's going to get wrapped up in – you know, um, making excuses for himself because they put him in different positions, or I don't know where I'm playing. I can't get settled into the lineup, all that stuff. This guy's just yeah. going to show up and be ready to rake. So that's one of the nice things about young players is they haven't really got set in their ways at all yet, and they just kind of play yeah. ball. So, especially with you're- a player that that caliber, to be able to tell him, yeah. yeah, sometimes you're going to play centers, sometimes you're yeah. in right. Uh, it, there's zero percent worry that that that'll be a problem for him uh, mentally.
1: He said at the uh, Chop Fest the other day that I don't care where I hit I, I, yeah. you know or play, I'm gonna give hundred percent. He goes, I'm gonna if they want me on the bench, I'm gonna I'm gonna give two hundred percent on the bench. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna be <laughs> one of the options, dude. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You know, you I can see them that, I can see you know, all the stuff that happens in spring training, like you mentioned, I could see a team. I could easily foresee a team having an, uh, say, uh, a, a, an outfield injury to a center fielder. All of a sudden, Ender Enciarte, if he shows he's healthy at spring training and he's playing well, you know, you know how other teams scout, uh, scout your guys in spring training. I could see a team making a move for Ender Enciarte if they need a center fielder. There are not a whole lot of those guys out there. There are a lot of outfielders, a lot of power hitting outfielders, but there aren't a whole lot of guys you could, that if your center fielder goes down, and you need a legit center fielder. There aren't a lot, a whole lot, a whole lot of options available. And I could see that happening if uh, Indur shows he's healthy. Once he shows he's healthy, and and there's no reason he shouldn't be. The injuries he had last year, back and hamstring, aren't the kind that carry over for four months into the next year.
0: Yeah, it's just the thing that sucks in baseball is how fast your you know your your stock can just drop, and you can become yep. somebody yep. that we just want to find a way to get rid of, and you're a problem. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if he's raking in spring training. Maybe you just put it, pencil him in in center field and, and, oh, you and could. see, you know, it's, it's just so hard in baseball because your stock is just like, it's, it's just all what have you done for me lately. And with him, yeah. it's, it's hard to let him go. If he comes back and, and he shows who he is, having him hit, hitting the eight hole and track balls down in center field is so valuable too. You know, yeah. getting his speed on bases. No it's, it, he's a really, he's a really tough, um, he's a tough guy to kind of analyze his value because, he starts off so bad every year, you know. Yeah. But the and player in, he can turn into,
1: yeah, he's motivated to get going this year. He's had one good one year at least where he started off well in April. But yeah, most of it was time a huge was year, right? Still, yeah, uh, yeah. In that scenario, I could also see him uh, uh, being here at least until you know close to the deadline. In which case, you might have say Pache, Drew Waters, another option. But Pache might be ready to. Uh, to, to stick in there at center. If you could, if Ender has, a, has a, a nice solid first three months, three, four months, then I could really see a team because he's not a guy on an expiring contract either. He's going to, you know, he's under a team control, very affordable contract. So yeah. I can see his value really jumping up if he uh, has a solid first half. Yeah. 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 It could be yeah, huge. And, if, if, spring and, training, and I don't take, think,
0: he'll- you know, a good spring training, a great spring training. You see, guys have just ridiculous spring trainings. Willie Bloomquist used to do it for the Mariners every year. He he oh like yeah, four, a lot of guys 450, do it. Yeah. you know, yeah, will get a lot injury. of fastballs. Yeah, but so obviously for his take an injury. To yeah, another for team. his value to like skyrocket in spring training yeah. would be hard. But if good first half right. and yeah. playing his defense, you know, and a team has that need, you could you could probably steal yeah. a few prospects from some people. He's
1: hit two eighty, two ninety with that defense, three gold yeah. gloves, and uh, and, and a team contract. control. And you great contract. Yeah, I could see you getting a yeah. prospect back for that. So, yeah. And if Pache's ready, boom, do it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, as, as Antopolis said, uh, right now we got, you know, Acuna and Ozuna projected as everyday guys, projected. Ender, Marquecas Duval, that'll be worked out over the course of spring. Said he talked to Snit and Antopolis talked to. Duval, Marcakis, and NCR after, before they announced the Ozunda sign, and he talked to all of them to let them know where they stood. Uh, and, and, and which goes back to, uh, I talked to, uh, to, I asked, uh, Ender about Alex Anthopoulos, and he, he was asked whether he had had a discussion, you know, with, uh, with Alex or Snid about his playing time. And I really, uh, I really liked Ender's comment that he made about um, about that. I think it says a lot about you know the confidence that guys have, uh, the honesty that Alex has with those guys because Ozuna or Ender said that he's had long conversations with Alex and that he really. Gets honesty out of him that you don't get in other GMs. And he says he'll tell you exactly where you stand, whether you want to hear it or not. You know, he won't hold back. And he said he really appreciates that. And that Alex has been like that since day one. I think that's important when the players, you know, when they can trust what their general manager's saying. Cause I put, you know, I covered a, a Marlins team that when Dave Dombrowski one time, uh, Gary Sheffield told us, beat writers, They were negotiating a contract, and he said Dombrowski lied to him, and he said this on the record before game that the hardest thing in the world for him (laughs) was to go out and put his blood uh, and sweat on the line for a guy like Dombrowski who had lied to him. We're like, whoa, you know. So when you have that kind of caustic, toxic atmosphere, I think it can trickle down, and the opposite is true too. When you have a great uh, atmosphere, can can be set all the way at the top. You know, when they when they trust their general manager is going to tell them where they stand.
0: Well, it's it's really tricky too because almost every GM, every manager start off spring training telling you that their doors open. Yeah, right. And then guys go in, they say, "Oh, his doors open. Let me go voice my uh, yeah my displeasures with how things are going." And they're triple A the next day, or um, you know (laughs) they're on the trading block where it's like you know anybody can say that, but it's it's rarely the case. Almost you know there'll be a big meeting in spring training, and they say, "My doors open. You got any problems? Come talk to me." And then yeah. some guy that's kind of a fringe guy takes that a little too serious. And he goes in and he's like, hey, you know, you've been pitching me too much. And the guy's like, oh, you don't want to pitch? Go back to AAA. He's on the bus the next day. Um, I actually had this conversation with a buddy of mine, like, you know, that that has gone through the situation a few times and kind of talked yeah. his way out of some good scenarios by saying he didn't want to yeah. pitch as much or why am I not pitching in this situation so um squeaky wheel didn't get
1: didn't no, work there but
0: it's kind of one of those things where there's only one way to find out if they really mean it or not and I just yep I always tell players just play it safe and don't say shit yep. you know just just kind of yep. don't take that too serious but there are there are some GMs and some managers that you can really approach and tell them how you're feeling and a lot of them are guys that that played and remember what it was like, but some of the guys that that don't want to hear anything are guys that played and, and forgot what it's like. So it's kind of yeah. a guessing game, but that's really cool that um that Ender feels like it's straightforward like that. And he's getting shot straight. Cause that's all players yeah. really want. You know, you just, you want to know, you know, what are my chances? What do I need to do better? Where am I at? Um As long as there's transparency, then, then you have nothing to blame, no one to blame, but yourself. But yeah, um, it's, it's a tricky thing, man. And, and the organizations that, that run it right and they shoot you straight like that, it, the word gets around the league and, uh-huh. and, they, and, and players really want to be there and they really appreciate it. So, um, that, that, that's kind of one of those things that keeps on pulling in returns by, by acting like that and doing things right. So that's kind of, you know, that's cool for me to hear because that's a big thing for players. So, so that's a good, uh, good sign.
1: Um, so yeah, you'll have, you'll have a zoom in a left. People say, uh, uh, yeah, that's Marquecas Duvall, the platoon. That's done. Uh, that was the plan before the, before J.D. left, and they replaced him with an outfielder. So Zuna's in the left. He doesn't have – he got a gold glove in 2017. He's not a gold glover anymore. Uh, doesn't have a strong arm, so he's better in the left. Uh, but he, he did okay in some of the defensive analytics, the defensive runs saved even last year. Um, and you get – ideally, you know, they've said all along, Acuna and right is what they want because of his strong arm, really plays well in right field. We saw that several times last year when he made terrific throws to second base or third base and cut down guys trying to, you know, take the extra base. They learned pretty quick with Acuna out in right field. He's He's got a cannon and it, it's, it's much better suited out there where he can display, and he doesn't have to cover, you know, as much range in right as he does in center. Running, you don't want your best you know player, most talented player running all over the field when you're most talented offensive player running all over the field, uh, because eventually that's going to wear down a guy even as young as as, as Acuna. So, yeah, right and you can is, pile
0: is, up over the years, too. I think that's that's yep, kind of what happened yep. with Andrew Jones is, yep, is the no way doubt. he played center field. And you can't – you know, Acuna's going to go all out. He's not – yeah, he's, exactly. he's going to dive into walls if he can make a play. Like, the guy's just playing a game. He's not thinking about 10 years from now. So, keeping yeah. him in right field, I think's you know, good for his longevity for sure.
1: So, Zuna turned 29 last month. So he's four years younger than J.D. He'll – the Brace forfeited the third highest draft pick, 99th overall as compensation because Azuna was a qualifying offer guy, rejected the Cardinals 17, eight, 17.8 qualifying offer. Uh, That's not bad, Alex though. Alex said, Yeah. Third round. No, nah, Alex, they've already lost the second and third picks because, you know, for signing Will Smith. Uh, okay. Anthopolis said, we just focused on the player that we thought was the best fit. We were looking for a middle-of-the-order guy. We liked our outfield, but we felt strongly about Azuna's and We feel there's more upside to what he showed last year, which thought to be a really good fit for us. He had 52 homers and 177 ribbies uh, in two years with the Cardinals, including 29 homers last year. Uh, but again, it was a it paled next to what he did in 17. In 2017 with the Marlins, this dude hit 312 with 37 homers, Hundred and twenty-four ribbies, three hundred seventy-six OBP, five forty-eight slugging that year. Uh nine he had a nine twenty-four OPS. That was in two thousand seventeen, that Marlins team with that outfield they had. Um uh, so had a seven hundred fifty-eight OPS in two thousand eighteen, and then last year hit two forty-one, but had an eight hundred OPS. So they they think uh, they think you know with the finger injury he had and all that last year that there's no reason at his age he can't get back closer to what he was doing in 17 if he does and he's got plenty of to play for obviously because he could have another huge contract if he uh, if he has a year like he had in 17 before free agency he could, he will rake in the dough so uh, again you know, like uh, I mentioned against against the Braves with went nine to for 21
0: a, it'd be interesting to see a team full of guys on
1: one year deals I know I know isn't it. <laughs> Because you got him and Hamels. you know Hamels obviously thirty six, so he ain't gonna get a huge deal. But yeah, yeah, the Braves are making an art of that, aren't these one two year deals? Yeah, well, I I mean, if you could if you could keep finding
0: guys to do that, it's just hard to do. Our guy's gonna be there or not? Um, Yeah, you got to get the right guys. You got to get the right guys. They got to fit. But man, if you could if you could have a bunch of veterans on one year deals, it'd be (laughs) kind of cool to see how that team played. (laughs)
1: especially young hungry. veterans like 29 yeah. like 29 year olds <laughs> on one-year deals with a ton of potential
0: <laughs> yeah. you know chasing maybe 100 million it's it'd be fun to see how that team played
1: it's a pretty seems like it could be an ideal mix when you have a couple of really young guys like Acuna and Ozzy they're going to play their asses yeah. off regardless and regardless dance and then you got a couple of stable veteran leaders you know like Freddie Freeman they are going to do what they do regardless uh and then you got a couple of guys playing for one last big contract, maybe, or at least one more, you know, small uh uh short but big contract. <laughs> guys like Azuna. So yeah. and uh, and Hammels. So we'll see.
0: Be uh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah. But yeah, the last memory I guess people have of Azuna, a lot of Braves fans, he went nine for twenty one, three doubles, two homers, five ribbies in that uh division series against the Braves. So And he hit uh, a ball. Oh, I
0: remember him hitting one yeah, absolute bomb at SunTrust
1: he had a uh, before they signed and the Braves wanted to make sure he would fit you know they, they're big on the clubhouse chemistry and all that so Anthopolis said they did a lot of homework on him and they were pleased with everything they found out he said uh he's very well liked as a teammate we talk a lot about fitting our clubhouse and our team and all the reports that we got back on him we're, we're excited about like I said we think he ran into some bad luck last year Oh, he did by the way have like the 5th 5th or 6th highest exit velo in major leagues last year right there he with Crissable. The
0: right. So the ball.
1: There are reasons analytically speaking that they'll tell you that he had last year that his OBP and his uh, average should have been a lot higher than they were with the exit velos that he generated last year which were right there along it was his career best. So there is it's not just uh uh, rose colored, rose tinted glasses and all that to say that he should have had, that he had some bad luck last year. The numbers do support that part. Well, so. he crushes the ball. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big boy who, 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 who squares it up. So, uh, and I asked, I asked some of the, some of the other guys about him. They were, they're all excited. Obviously they did the hacy and JD go, but, uh, uh. The, the you know the other the other attractive thing about it was for the Braves their their top position players are, prospects are both outfielders Christian Pache and Drew Waters that we mentioned both of them finished tr- last year in AAA uh, they were dominant in AA last year went up for the last month of the season in AAA and neither and the, both of them they're they're only twenty one and both of them look like you know they were twenty at the time both look like they could uh, use some more seasoning in AAA so they won't have yeah. to rush them now with Ozuna they could you they could leave them there all year if they want to but. Like I said, if, 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 one of them looks like he's ready to come up, they can also make room for him too. So, uh, and Waters came and talked to us at Chopfest Uh, both of them did, but Waters, you know, he's known for his considerable swagger. I don't know if you know, if you've heard about this guy, but he's cocky man, but it's a good cocky. So, uh, he's got a lot of skills guy that they think could put on 20 more pounds, local kid, Georgia kid reminds a lot of people of the young Chipper Jones, you know, with his attitude and all that. Uh, and he is going. To, he played for Team USA. Hit a hit a home run on the first pitch of the first game for Team USA in Mexico this winter. Uh, I asked him. I asked him about you know just what last year what he learned from this past year, and he said that you know going to AAA and failing might have been the best thing could have happened to him. So yeah. He, he and he was in camp last year too. Spring training. This so this will be his second camp for Drew Waters and for uh, Pache. And here's what Drew Waters said about last year. He said, last year at spring training, I was there and I was present and I did everything, but it was almost like I was asleep. I was just like so caught up with, I couldn't believe I was there playing alongside guys like Freddie Freeman and Brian McCann. I really look back and it happened so fast. He goes, but this year it's a little bit different. I feel like I should have the opportunity to come up to Atlanta and help the Atlanta Braves out at some point this year. So knowing that, like, like going into spring training, I'll be a little more comfortable, and I know what to expect. I think knowing that, I'll be a lot more prepared. And he said, Waters continues. He said, I think last season I had a lot of success, but I also had some failures. And some of those failures was what brought me to the work I did this offseason. And that was, he said, getting his right-handed swing up to par with his left-handed. He's a switch hitter. He said, I'm proud of what I've accomplished. I think it's going to show at spring training. So this is a kid that seems so much more ready right now than he would have a year ago.
0: Well, you know, your first time being around true, legit big leaguers that you've seen on TV, um, it can be really intimidating. And, you know, your heart rate's going 150 beats per minute. Your hands are sweaty. You know, (laughs) you can't like you just, you know, as a pitcher, I couldn't even feel the ball in my hand in my major league debut. Um, And I take that as a good sign. I take it as a sign that that the guy respects the level because a lot of guys come up and they fall flat on their face because they think that the big leagues is going to be just like AAA. Right. Um and you know they have all their swag and they're here and everybody's, you know supposed to think they're some big deal as a prospect but everybody in the big leagues was a prospect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know nobody a gives a sh- yeah. You know nobody cares about they don't read Baseball America in the big leagues. You, you just, <laughs> it's it's toilet paper, you know. It's, yeah. guys don't care one bit. Um, so you come up there and, and the game can be really fast. It can be different. And it, it takes a while to get to the point where you can be calm and play your same game, um, at that level. So I always take it as a really good sign when guys are almost kind of paralyzed by the big leagues, you know, and they, they can't, they can't be themselves up there initially. Cause it's just a sign that they really respect the level. And, uh, as you get more comfortable, you start to become yourself. I remember, uh-huh. uh, my, my first spring training, big league spring training, I watched Rafael Soriano go into a game. And I'm I'm sitting <laughs> Soriano, you know him. I'm I was sitting down in the bullpen and I'm just hoping the phone, you know, rings and maybe I get in there, but I'm just nervous sitting there. And the bullpen phone rings and they tell Soriano he's in. And this guy just looked inconvenienced <laughs> you know he stood up all slow grabbed a bottle of water kind of just moseyed over the mound threw some pitches yeah, yeah. when he was ready yeah. he kind of just gave them the signal like the whole thing was just a huge inconvenience to him and i i just i kind of laughed at it and i look back at it but this guy was so comfortable <laughs> at that yeah. level That when the bullpen phone rang and he was going into a big league game, his heart rate jumped zero beats (laughs) per minute. It probably went down. You know, he he was inconvenienced by the whole thing. He just (laughs) moseyed out there and he threw like a one, two, three inning and walked his way off the field. And I come in the clubhouse after he's just icing his quad or something, drinking a beer. You know, like he had basically just filed a report. (laughs) How exciting that that was was, for him. Um, He was
1: unaffected, man.
0: unaffected and i i told myself if you can get to the point where that's your you know that's that's your mentality not not that the big leagues is inconvenience, but that's how calm you are that it's another day at work and and that's where everybody's trying to get to maybe not having the mannerisms that sorry had but you know um knowing that it's the same damn game and and knowing what you have to do to get it done and understanding all that that that's kind of, you know, not giving a damn that that's kind of the mindset that works for a majority of big leaguers is to treat it like, you know, just another, just another baseball game and not this crazy big league, you know, overwhelming experience. Cause if you're overwhelmed, you're going to suck. But I always try to get back to that. So seeing that in waters is it's completely normal to be kind of intimidated and overwhelmed by the big leagues, your first taste of it. But um, I think that's actually a really good sign.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, we've talked about this before, but I think that's where a lot of the veterans, like uh like your uh, your your Josh Donaldson, your Freddie Freeman, your B Max, that are outgoing and uh, joke around a lot. You know, when the, the clubhouse doors shut, when they're shut to the media before the game, you know, we don't see and fans don't obviously see what goes on in there. But I think a lot of the tone is set with what goes on in that hour or so before the game when those guys are loosey goosey and and uh, making guys feel comfortable and confident, and knowing hey, we're the, we're the best team out here.
0: Well, that was a that was a huge difference for me coming from the Mariners to the Braves. Um, uh huh. Just how welcoming the team was, and 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 the vibe in the clubhouse, and and how professional it was. But it wasn't about making you feel like a dumbass rookie. You know? Yeah. It was. Um, a lot of rookies get kind of beat up and, and treated like they don't belong. And I think that was, you know, I think in a sense that's how the game stayed so old for so long is because they made the yeah. young guys so uncomfortable. But the game's at a point now where they understand yeah. the value of a guy like Aussie Albies fitting yeah. in and being comfortable and and how talented he is. I think it's taken a lot of money out of some veterans' pockets how comfortable the young guys yeah. are. But you see, you see the performance and you see what they're capable of in a lot shorter adjustment period now. Um, so... Yeah, that that was a big thing for me to come over to the Braves and and have guys like Chipper just say what's up before the game. You know, there'd be veterans right, on right. on the Mariners that wouldn't even talk to you or they'd treat you like you didn't belong and, and that stuff would kind of bounce around in your head as a young guy. Um but then you come in the seventh inning and you're getting this dirty look from a, a guy on your own team uh-huh. like you don't belong here it's just like shit, maybe
1: Right you know, you know he's like start- who are you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To say
0: hi to you. Yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff's not good. So um for yeah, overall it's that team vibe that the Braves have i think that's why you see so many young guys come up and do well
1: and they were one of the first two a, a few years ago to really take that to another level by kind of just getting rid of like all the even even the good-natured kind of uh hazing uh, yeah. you know, uh, the stuff like you know, you don't get in line first at the food line or you don't sit on that chair or th- that couch and just getting rid of all that crap. Uh, they, they made a conscious effort at the end of the rebuild when they knew they were gonna have to count so much on young guys like Ozzy and Acuna yeah. and Dansby. They think they just thought that the last thing we want these guys to do is w- worry about anything other than playing. So, it, <laughs> I think to their credit, guys like Freddie and Marcakis they decided to do this, yeah, in the title flowers. To make guys feel comfortable from day one, from when they got called up, to worry about only one thing, and that's playing, doing your job. Don't worry about all the little little silly shit.
0: Yeah, and I think it was a form of kind of protecting veterans' jobs and stuff in the game, and, and I, I do think it's taking money out of their pockets yeah. because young players are better now than ever, right. and they were kind of held down by all those things. But yeah. you know, I remember when I came over um, to the Braves from from Seattle. And it was probably like the first week or two in the big leagues uh, with the Braves, and I saw JoJo Reyes eating, uh, sitting on the couch with his feet up, changing the TV channel, and eating uh, a plate of nachos. So I was just like, "Dude, you got to fuck it, you got to run, get out of this situation as fast as possible. They're gonna crush you." And uh, and Chipper walked in and and just walked right by it, didn't say anything, didn't seem to care. I, I think he was really against that. So I think because I think Chipper wore it when he was a young guy. And so yeah, he was yeah. kind of against setting that yeah. that tone. But Chipper walked by, and I just watched it with my eyes wide open, like, "Oh man, <laughs> Chipper Jones is going to destroy this dude for doing this because it was, it was so, um, it was it, that it was a bold move to be changing TV channels, yeah. eating nachos with your feet up in a recliner, you know." Um, but it was just that was a totally total difference from the environment I came from. Um, I think that in a sense, young guys need to be humbled and 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 they can't get too cocky or ahead of themselves, and they need to respect the veterans, but. There's a right way to kind of keep them in check and, and do things. And I think that the Braves have a really good mix and, and guys like Freddie and Marquekus do it the right way. So, um, I, I would think that Waters will fit right in once he, once it's time.
1: Um, third base, you got the battle we, we mentioned. You got, it's kind of, it's going to be interesting to see it in spring training because you got two guys that last year had their ups and la- ups and downs. Uh, Camargo who'd come off being the primary starter in 2018. Once they got rid of Joey Batts, they gave it to Camargo and uh, he played well in there. And then last year they signed JD, you know, in November. So all of a sudden Camargo's left as a utility guy, he came to camp overweight and he really struggled between the, you know, the conditioning and playing multiple positions. And the plan went out the door of playing him four or five times a week, giving him four or five starts a week. Cause he wasn't playing well early. So all of a sudden he's, you know, not playing much. He's really struggling. Eventually got sent down to AAA. Riley, as we know, came up. To at, he was hitting so well at AAA that they had him moved to left field. Played like three games in, in the minors, and then was brought up, thrust into the lineup yeah. in left field, and raked for six weeks. But then, once the book got out on him, pitchers realized what they could do: get ahead of him, exploit him—that—that that, you know, breaking balls away, get him chasing, uh, not recognizing pitches, that kind of thing. He fell off the table, and then he hurt his knee at the end. Uh, came back and showed a little bit when he came back. but So you got two guys that both have done it, but also both have struggled for different reasons, and both seem really motivated coming into this year with the opportunity to nail down Riley going to his natural position, third base, where Chipper thinks he can be a plus defender, and Camargo going to where, the position where he had his best success in, in 2018, where he looked like a legit starting third baseman.
0: Uh sh- I think either one of them could, could come up huge. Uh And I I don't think there's a chance neither one of them do, you know? Um, Yeah. The thing about Camargo is I think he just got a little comfy and that happens to guys. Um, Uh You know, you, you have your first full big league season and you show up to camp. It happened to me in 08. Um, You know, you, you come in and you have a real legit big league season. And some of that pressure of um, do I belong here or not? Those questions you're asking yourself, uh, it's kind of alleviated. And then you get a little comfy and you show up to camp. Like I'm a big leaguer now. And yeah, the only way to be in the big leagues is to be constantly looking over your shoulder, waiting for it to all fall apart. You know, anytime I let my guard down in the slightest sense, the game just ate me alive. Um, and I think that's kind of what happened to Camargo last year, combined with, you know, not getting to play every day like he was expecting. I don't know if he'd ever played that little or gotten kind of jerked around like that and not really knowing right. how to handle that bench role that he got thrown into. That's a huge adjustment for guys and even veterans struggle with that. Um, but I think, you know, if he comes into camp in shape, cause I remember you, you talking a lot last year about him seeing bigger and, and not yeah. as, you know, just not as athletic and not the guy that you'd seen the year before. And it kind of played out accordingly, but when he hit 272 with 19 homers, man, and, and he has a cannon, so putting him at third yeah. base is, I mean, it's great to have him there. Cause he's got, he's got, a, he's got one of the best arms I've seen in an infielder. Yeah. Um, yeah. That could be huge, you know. He he could if he turns into that guy, then you're you're really not missing J D at all, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, and
1: Riley's got a really strong arm as well. He pitched in uh, yeah. in high school.
0: Yeah, Riley has yeah. a good arm. And I think with Riley, you know, I think the game just kinda of caught up with him. It's it's so weird yeah. because when he came up his first two, three weeks, he was laying off those sliders. Like the, yeah. I I remember we were talking about him and I didn't even Yeah I was like, I don't even know how I'd pitch this guy. Because he uh-huh. was he was covering all four quadrants and and he got called up and he was super hot and I think he just kind of experienced his first kind of slump at the big league level and then the pressure mounts. Yeah. Um you don't answer questions yeah. in AAA when you suck. Yeah, uh, you're just 0 for 12, and then and then you know you go you go one for four with a homer and you're like oh cool I had a homer today. The next day you're back in the big leagues, man. You have to you start slumping. Um, You have to answer questions about it. You have to answer questions what happened in that at bat in the seventh. And it turns into a thing where you start analyzing what's happening more because you're getting asked a lot more questions about it. It's easy to just forget about it, go home, play some video games in AAA. Um, And when you're in a slump in the big leagues, you know, um, the the media comes up to you every day. People look at you different. Uh, It it can all amplify so much more. So I think that was part of it. And you never know what was going on with that that knee injury he had and how much that had started to affect him before he took time for it. But I just don't think with both of these guys the potential they have, I I don't really think it's a concern, third base a concern. You know they're going to play good defense. And then if either one of them hits, man, and and the best part of it is competition. They're both – guys don't want to go back to AAA. Guys don't want to sit the bench. So you're going to have two guys duking it out. Uh, very hungry and motivated, trying to get that third base job, which is best case scenario if you're the Braves.
1: Yeah, and 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 Alexandopoulos was among the many really impressed with how Camargo looks coming in. Uh, Camargo spent the off season in Tampa. After uh, you know, in the past he played winter ball in Venezuela and the Dominican. Last year he. Uh, he did not play winter ball and spent the off season working out, you know, just lifting, I think, and eating, getting bigger. But this year he spent the off season in Tampa doing a lot of condition, more, a lot more advanced uh, work designed to, you know, rebuild his range, his speed, concentrated on his legs, lost 15 pounds. He looks great. He looks like he did in 2018 now. Um, and Alex was talking about those two guys. He said uh, Camargo worked exceptionally hard this off season He's very motivated about the opportunity to compete for third base. and I talked to Austin early in the offseason. he knew what he needed to work on and get a swing back. We all know what he's what when he's right, what he can do. I think having two young players with the upside that have a chance to be impact guys, I think it would be great competition in camp with the yeah. two of them and knowing we have that depth. this is what Alex said. he said and uh and also he said beyond that you know, cause one of those guys is probably going to go to the bench. He said, it's going to the, the Azuna sign and he's going to strengthen the bench as well, you know, in effect because of that. Cause one of those guys will move to the bench, a, you know, with a 26 man roster, but uh, he said, I think we're going to need all these guys. Alex said, there's going to be injuries. There will be dips in performance that have this kind of depth as we've talked about since I joined the organization, it's imperative to us. And he also likes the fact they can both play multiple positions if they need to.
0: Yeah. I just, I love the competition factor. Um, yeah. They don't want to go back to AAA. They don't want to sit the bench.
1: Yeah.
0: and now, Camargo, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just – it's it's the best-case scenario, man, to have two guys that yeah. are young and hungry. Uh, I don't think they're both going to fail. So yeah. you just get to take your pick. You dangle that carrot, and, and they're going to chase it. And it seems like they're both very motivated by, by some rough struggles last year to come in and,
1: exactly. and, and well, try to prove something. Exactly. Last year you know, Camargo
0: put in a whole different offseason in, in Tampa. He 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 got the message, you know. Yeah. So, Coppucci and by great. the way,
1: talk about turning a page. He's doing his he's doing try. to He's going to do his interviews in English this year, which Oof. that's no small matter, man. When a guy is that committed to, you know, it makes me it, it means he he's driven in all parts of his game, and he wants to be better. I mean, uh, you know, the fact that he wants to do his interviews in English, nobody's forcing him to do that. And I think it's a good sign. I mean, I I admire those guys because I know I can't speak a word of Spanish practically. And I was married to a Colombian woman for six years. So I know how hard it is, man. And I admire these guys that can learn English while adjusting to the different culture in the U.S. and trying to advance their careers on the baseball field. That's hard shit, man.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, you have to sound like an idiot. You have to be willing to to learn learn another another language. You have to be willing to sound like an idiot. And I, you know, I've I've heard Spanish my whole life. I understand a lot of it, but yeah. I'm not. You know, I can't get over that hump of just being willing to sound like an idiot in another language. Um, it's something I'd love to do is learn Spanish, but I can't imagine any point in my life giving yeah. an interview in Spanish. You know, especially exactly. a live one or, or a documented one. It's
1: exactly that's a lot Doing of pressure for those is, guys. That's I, ballsy, man.
0: You know, people hey, criticize hey, them and say stuff, but <laughs> come
1: on, I know. And I think when people say, you know, insinuate that a guy's uh, not trying, or he's dumb. For not, I think they're reflecting and project. It's themselves that are those same characteristics. You know that because because yeah, that's well, the they're jealous that guys the guys are. in the
0: big leagues and they want to find something to criticize right. him for. But the guy's coming right. from another country. Ichiro did his interviews in um, I Japanese. Was say, for Ichiro, he's 40, 40 years English. old. and been over he here for however English. many
1: years, and he still wasn't comfortable enough to do his interviews in English.
0: It's something so, I respect, man. It's it's yeah. a huge step.
1: But he said uh, he didn't need to hold and learn a whole lot and know no, a lot of English to answer this question. I asked him about why he did what he did this, this winter in Tampa. working out. He worked out twice a day, four days a week, two conditioning drills a day, plus the hitting on top of that at the end. So why'd you do all that? And he said, he said this is the first time I've done this, and I feel great. What motivated him to do it? He said, it was pretty simple. He goes, I want to be back. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, yeah. man.
0: That's pretty good. Well, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of guys hit kind of a lull once they settle into the big leagues. Um, you chase that dream for so long. And it doesn't seem like this would happen. But a lot of guys, you chase this dream so long. You have this fire because you're chasing that dream. And then you arrive. And you don't really know what's next, and it's there's kind of like a come down from that high of of getting to the big leagues and all the rush of it, and that's why you see some guys have those sophomore slumps and stuff. They get a little um, comfortable, and sometimes they're just not um, there's just not that same drive because they don't know what they're chasing now. So then you get your ass kicked, and you're like, shit, I don't want to lose the big leagues, and 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 you get kind of a second win, you get driven again, and you get this fire where it's. You know, you you realize you're yeah. still fighting for your career, and and it's nothing's ever guaranteed. So it sounds like he's at that point now, where he's like, I just I want to yeah. be in the big leagues. It's who I want to be, and he went and worked his ass off. So good for him. I hope he has a great he said, year.
1: He said about last year and about getting to compete for the third base job again now with JD gone. He said about last year. He said, to be honest, I learned from last year. Good. I, it's part of the moment. Things happen, so I learned from that. But this year, my mind is stronger than last year, and I'm ready for this season. Asked what happened, what last year, what went wrong. He said. The big thing was my mind because I was struggling there. That's why maybe when I got sent to AAA to play more, to strengthen my position here, and now, to be honest, I feel great. Uh, And as for Austin Riley, he spent the offseason working on his swing with Mike Brumley, who's the former big leaguer uh, infielder who serves as the Brace Minor League hitting coordinator. He's the guy that really Austin had had, – I synced up with in the minors. Had really been on the same page with in the minors when he when he took off when his performance took off in the minors, which got him to the big leagues. So they, they worked together. They wanted to give his swing back to what he was doing when he was crushing balls in AAA and for those first six weeks in the majors. So he went to Dallas a couple of times. That's where Brumley's based, and he went down there and worked with them at his at his place down there uh, on kind of cleaning up his swing. And Austin said the big things were working a lot on my front elbow, really focused on what it's doing at the start of my swing. I felt like last year when I got in my troubles, it was kind of working down instead of clearing and being able to let my backside work. He said, "With working with that and then some lower half stuff, it's been really good. I'm very pleased with where my swing's at right now compared to what it was at the end of last season." I asked him if he dissected it. He said, "Yeah, on video and everything." He said, "Yeah, me, Mike Brumley, and some other guys. We looked at to see what I was doing when I was having success, what I was doing when I was, and when I, what I was doing when I was struggling." Said so like I said, the oboe along with my back leg, where my weight was, those were the big things. Um, he said when I wasn't going well, my load on my back leg—it was more on the toe, kind of pushing forward. He said but not, but not now. He's got it even throughout the foot. The weight is even. He said that's. I think that's going to be a big difference in being able to recognize pitches late and still be able to put good swings on him. And that's what you alluded to. That's what he was doing. Early on, he was recognizing he was waiting and he wasn't getting out front and yeah. sliding that back foot. And he's still able to drive the ball. He's so strong that if he'll wait on the pitches to recognize him, he can still drive it out to the opposite field.
0: Well, you know what happens? You start trying to do too much when you fail in the big leagues. Yeah. And, and the whole key is – it's like that – I can't remember what movie it is. The guy's trying to learn how to surf and the guy just keeps telling him, you're doing too much, do less. And he yeah. stands up again. He's do less, do less, and that's actually really good advice in um, in baseball because as you struggle, you try to do more, and when you try to do more in baseball, it's it's like a, as a pitcher, if you try to throw ninety five. Yeah. And you've been throwing 92, it's going to be 90. You're going to lose a yeah. mile an hour because you tense up and, and you just try to do too much. And it's the same thing for hitters as they struggle, they get anxious, you know, and, and they don't want to get beat by the fastball. So they get quicker. Uh, their weight gets forward quicker. Everything just gets out of sync. And then you're just getting beat by the slider because you can't stay back. You know, he's putting all this pressure yeah. on himself. He's anxious in the box. Um, I think if he's, if he's able to stay back and recognize the pitches like, like he did in those first uh, first few that first month, six um, weeks. Yeah, he's it'd be awesome for him to get back to that because I think he get thirty five homers this year if he's yeah, just he's comfortable and, and he's himself. Yeah. Um, and then you really just I, where do you put Camargo if if Riley's doing this? I mean, it, it's a great problem to have to have too many good players, but they might well, be in that position because both these guys seem motivated.
1: Then you could have Camargo ideally in the super utility role that you envisioned yeah. for him last year when right. he came to camp out of shape, and this year he looks right. like he could—he's ready for that role. You know, he wants yeah. to be a third baseman, obviously. Maybe but mentally thi- too. This year, I think mentally he's ready for that for that utility role. If that's what he gets, I think you're not going to have a problem uh, with him excelling in that this year. But and so your bench is a lot stronger, yeah. But, yeah, he said, uh, Austin, again, on the back foot, said, yeah, I have, I've always had a tendency of sliding with the back foot. When I was successful, I wasn't sliding. And when I was going bad, I had a little slide. So I'm really focused on that, being able to recognize pitches later and being able to re- react to them. I think that's going to be the big key. Uh, as for the, for the uh, competition with Camargo at third base, Austin said, me and Camargo have a great relationship. He's a great, great player uh he's a great guy, great player he's gonna be fun competing against him in the spring, but there's no tension there and I can't see there ever being any tension like I say he's a great guy we've got a great relationship uh he did he po- he pointed out something he said asked him how important it was to have some success last year you know his first six weeks obviously but also when he came back from the knee injury to hit a little bit carried yeah. out in the off season he said, I know the failures were going to be there. Obviously, they were longer than what I wanted, but I did have some success and I know what I can do up here. So that's a big positive for me mentally, because this game is just so hard on you mentally. I just think knowing, trusting myself, what I've done this offseason, I know it's going to be carry over to this spring. And I think it's going to be some upside this year. That's what Austin said.
0: I think it's awesome. He said there's no animosity between those two, no tension. You know, it's it's a terrible place to get into where you're checking the box score of a teammate, you know, during spring training and uh you're hoping they had a bad game. Yeah. Uh Guys that are doing that always fail. I, I used yeah. to go out of my way. Cause you know, in, in when yeah. you're competing for a lefty spot in the bullpen, there's so everyone knows who it is and you could feel the tension from the guys that were just wishing bad on you. And it, it's kind of a sense where, that takes a distraction of wanting bad things to happen for this other guy versus handling your own shit and and being positive. It wraps you into this ugly just state mentally where you actually wind up kind of failing and and you, cause you're just wishing so much bad on somebody else. I used to always go out of my way and just be like, dude, I hope you have you a great season. I don't care what happens, you know, just let's have a, let's have a good vibe and, and not have any of that tension. So for him to already be saying that out loud, and it seems like Camargo's in the same boat. Um, it's it's type of thing where them both being positive and root for each other, they could both wind up having awesome seasons because that's just not there, and and yeah. it could work out for both of them where they don't have to wish bad on on a teammate. So I think that's awesome that even at their age, they're already thinking like that.
1: Uh, just a couple of more quick things here, Freddie. I don't know if you saw Freddie's quotes uh, from from Chopfest, but he was talking about you know the surgery um said that the the elbow this is the first time he's been pain-free in the off season at this point in nine years said he always by this point was taking four extra strength Tylenol and just thinking that it was from hitting again <laughs> resuming his hitting and that you know he was just getting those muscles and everything back used to it but his elbow was was all, were already starting to hurt um he said it, last year, he's been able to manage this in, in, in the past. It's just why people were like, why didn't he get something done previously? It's like, he was able to play with this, obviously. But last year in August, it started barking. Usually it went away, you know, with rest and managing it. But in September, early September, around his birthday, he said it started hurting. He woke up and he couldn't shampoo his hair. And then it was every day. So for every day the rest of the year, uh, he he it, it was there. And then when he took that week off of those four or five days off, They got it kind of calmed down a little bit, but he said between the anti-inflammatories and the adrenaline, he says that he actually wasn't feeling pain in the, in the division series, but so he wouldn't use that as an excuse. But I think that's more Freddie, just not wanting to people to think he's using it as an excuse because we saw it. He wasn't himself at all in, in, in in the division series. Well, your body
0: will still restrict range of motion, whether you're feeling the pain or not. I think that's probably, I think he's probably telling the truth. I mean, you can shoot guys up where they don't feel yeah. anything, but yeah. if you can't, do that all the time. yeah. But if you can't extend a joint fully, um, when yeah. you go to swing and send that signal, your swing's going to be shorter than your brain syncs up with where it's supposed to be, and you're just going to be off and miss hitting balls and, and looking the way he looked. So I, you know, he might not be. I really, I think that's great. I think he'd be fine admitting that he felt terrible too. You know, it's, yeah. it was we all saw it, but um, everybody respects a guy that doesn't want to make excuses. Um, but there's a pretty good chance he wasn't feeling anything and his joint just wasn't, you know, uh, moving the way it was supposed to. And that's why he was bad. But either way, I'm just glad he's healthy because, you know, those things can really wear on you mentally. When they went
1: in in August and had an MRI to, to, to look because, uh, you know, it was hurting more, had an x-ray or an MRI that revealed a big hook of a bone spur. So he had a second bone spur that was forming and, or had formed and Get this i check when he went in and did the surgery he found the he found the two bone spurs and like three fragments, I think it was bone fragments, and he said or whatever the fragments were, and he said that the the joint had closed from all the the stuff in there, and he said he'd never seen anybody with a with a bone spur in that position of that second one, and that he didn't understand how Freddie was even able to play and Freddie said he looked at him and he said, Well, doc, I didn't play very well.' <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of <laughs> wasn't, <laughs> kind of didn't. But he said uh, Doc told him if you had if they, if they had advanced to the LCS, and and Freddie confirmed this because he said the same thing. He probably would not have been able to play because that bone spur was about to crack. The second one was about to break, and he would not have been able to play after Game Five. He said it was hurting that much at that point.
0: Yeah, well, I I I feel. My feel for him, the, you know, the position he was in, because you don't want to duck out on your team and you feel this yeah. this responsibility to your team to to put just to take whatever pain meds you have to do to to get out there. But yeah. uh, it's unfortunate he got the response he got from a lot of fans. Um, yeah. And I I think that if I'm Freddie, I just don't forget that I play with a chip on my shoulder um, and, and use that as motivation. But um you know, I, I really just ultimately respect the fact that he did not want to use that as an excuse. I just yeah. admire it because it's so easy, and it would have been so easy for him just to tell you guys, "Oh yeah, my elbow's killing me," and then he's just off the hook, you know. And yeah. and guys and still, that don't want to be – still won't use it. No, he won't, and and I don't think he ever will. And that's that's something yeah. I always respect about him. But to, it's a easy man, to take that easy way out, yeah. To a man, to a
1: man, his teammates at at uh, Chop Fest raved about him, raved about him playing through pain. Every one of them respected it. And every one of them said they'd never seen him as excited as he is now. He said he was like, he acted like the youngest guy at chop fest. He was so excited and ready for the season to start. He's been going full bore. He said since, uh, uh, middle of December, hitting, throwing everything with no pain. Hope he gets 50 this year. And he could have a huge year, man. Uh, the other thing about him was that, uh, I'm sure you saw his comments about uh, the Astros. Yeah. He said uh, a lot of them reflected what you had mentioned. You had said, you know, brought up something that I don't think most of us even thought about was what if a young kid got called up and that happened to be the series when he got called up or even the game where he got called up to pitch against the Astros uh and he just got shelled in Houston and, 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 and what could that could do to a career or to, to his team evaluating him and that kind of thing? How it could just mess up everything. Our kids' confidence could get destroyed. So Freddie kind of personalized it and Freddie said, uh, the quote was, I asked him or, or, or he was asked by a fan actually during a fan forum and Freddie said, He was really candid. He said, it's disappointing. He was talking about the Astros' Sun stealing. He said, it's disappointing. As professional athletes, I think we're all competing at a high level, and we want it to be a fair competition. We all put in so much work to be able to play this game, to play in that game. And for some things, not to be fair in certain aspects, it's a little disappointing. The biggest thing for me is, and he got, he was starting to get emotional here. He kind of put the, he kind of turned. You could see how Freddie gets. He didn't, he never cries, but you can see him like fighting back emotions. And he said, the biggest thing for me is some of the, some of those guys that went into Houston. I think everyone knows Chris Medlin around here. He said, one of my favorite teammates of all time. He worked hard to get back to the big leagues. Took him two years to get back in 2018 when Med was with Arizona and he had one start and it was in Houston and he gave up seven runs. Do I know? Was it happening in that game? No, you just don't know. He retired about a week after that, though. So that's the hard stuff for me. Uh when people's careers could have been over because of that. It's kind of emotional for me because I really do love Chris and work so and he worked so hard to get back to the big league. So that's what hits me. Cheating is cheating. But when you mess with people's lives and careers, that's the hardest part to me about the whole thing. Uh and then he apologized for getting emotional. Now, here's what I should clarify, and I've did this in the story. Freddie thought that game was in Houston. It wasn't. It was in Arizona. And I talked right. to Chris Medlin yesterday and Chris said, yes, to be on, to be fair, he said it wasn't. It was what I, I play, pitched against him in Arizona and they killed me. He goes, but he goes, I don't know what they were doing there, but, but as Medlin said, the important thing was he goes, I'm not making excuses for a crappy, you know, uh, for my crappy start. He goes, but the important thing is what that could do to other guys. Cause there had to be some guys that it did affect in Houston whether it's a young player just called up, a guy rehab, and whoever, you know. Uh, and and I think the, the point was made by both of them that it's there's a, as Dansby put it, there's a chain reaction that people don't realize that could go on, you know. Dansby, uh, uh, Jim Powell was, was moderating this event. And Jim Powell asked, is there any of the other guys you were Aussie? Cause they were the other two Aussie and, and Dansby were the other yeah. two on the panel. And he said, either you guys have any comment further? And, and Dansby said, I mean, how that was perfect. What Freddie said, he goes, it's a big thing though, when you mess with somebody's livelihood or even somebody not necessarily in Chris's shoes, but they worked so hard, somebody that got worked so hard to get called up to the big leagues. Then all of a sudden confidence is down because they think they can't make it because, you know, they get hu- shelled by Houston. All those things, those kind of things. So there's a lot bigger chain reaction to it all than just them winning at the level that they have been. That's what Dansby said.
0: Well, I think you know my main take on this whole thing, and is I think it's that big a deal. You know, it's a lot of people like to say, you know what? Well, uh, they steal signs when they're at second base and whatnot, but this is a totally different method. And I think the only reason the Astros organization didn't get hit harder is because. There's other teams that could have been doing it, could be wrapped up in it. You know, you just don't know how deep it goes, but I think it's extremely important, um, that this, that an end is put to this. You know, it, it can't be part of the game. So going forward, the penalty has to be so steep and so harsh that a team just, you know, kind of what they did with steroids where yeah. it's it it was all of a sudden it was 80 games or you know you fail twice it's a three times the lifetime ban i think this almost has to skip all that and just be you know lifetime yeah. bans have to be on the table right away and i think that whole sentiment of of guys careers being affected that heavily um it it has to be a risk for players too players have to be risking a lifetime ban um cheating with this method because it really can change guys careers and one guy might get you know he might get only get one shot um, he might get his one shot in the big leagues, and the team's cheating. I mean, I I can't imagine finding that out ten years down the road and being like, you know, maybe I did belong in the big leagues. Meanwhile, you're flipping burgers or something. Um, imagine
1: being the Dodgers, man. You think right? You, you, you in 2017, that went five right. games. Kershaw could have a could Kershaw have a dominated Series. them at home, and then got destroyed by them at, at Houston.
0: Right. So you know that's the impact that this the that this cheating has and, and doing this, this method has, I think that there just has to be, it has, you have to put an end to it. If, if you're in charge going forward, if I'm Manfred, I go to every team in spring training and say like, Hey, the Astros got off very light you know immunity is over now for players immunity's done if you if you guys are involved in this in any way you're looking at maybe a lifetime ban i mean just set the set the penalty yeah. so high that nobody'll even risk it because it's yeah, so bad game. yeah it should be like
1: gambling i mean cheating with technology lifetime and all ban. this stuff should be like gambling Yeah. i mean you're affecting the game directly yeah
0: yeah and um, it, you know there was no precedent no no there wasn't any punishment kind of set up, and I think they kind of used that cop out of we you know nobody yeah. posted a policy or we didn't see that fine whatever. But going forward, if anybody else does this, I think it's got to be just extreme penalty because it's it's just bad for
1: the game. And Boston did know because the penalty was up then. I mean, there was a there was there was a rule. No technology could be used. Video, blah blah blah. That's in 2018. Yeah. So and then the Astros yeah. kept doing it too. Apparently in 2018, that's what MLB found. So uh, anyway, I thought Medlin had a great great quote he said he goes but anyway replace my name with anyone else's who's faced them at home and yeah it fucking sucks that they did what they did uh he said uh it was awesome to hear freddie say all of that because it just shows that he cared enough about the whole thing and then Medlin kind of said what we've been saying what a lot of fans players team officials from other teams have been saying and he said he put it as he put it he said it blows my mind the players involved aren't being punished I'm not making any excuses for a bad start at all, but it just sucks for other guys who are affected by that type of operation.
0: Yeah, I think they just they wanted to get to the bottom of it and not deal with the players yeah. union. Otherwise, they would have. But that's why I'm saying going forward, I think if we, you know, as a union, when when steroids started getting out of control, the players were asking for stri- like harsher penalties because they wanted that shit over with. They didn't want yeah. you know, any more of that, and it went from. Um, the players we were asking in spring training one year we wanted a 162 game ban for first time offense, and the only reason the union didn't want to do that was the amount of money that that the players would be using if they took one of those suspensions. And it happened to be some kind of accidental um, ingestion of a you know steak or something like that that contained some hormone, you know, that, that you failed to test. Right. They didn't want to risk it because of that. Right. But this is no, I accidentally got signs right. from a guy with an accidental camera that's accidentally hitting a trash can type of thing there's yeah. no accident to this so there's no there's not going to be any kind of false incrimination there it's it's going to be you did it and i think if if it comes to a situation where a guy has proven to do this going forward it should at least be a year ban maybe maybe even lifetime just to put an end to it because it's it's just so bad for the game and it's and it's it could it can ruin a guy's career you know
1: uh, just some last things, some quotes. Uh, the, there was a lot of guys talking about how watching uh, the Nats win the World Series after, you know, two, the Braves winning two back-to-back division titles and really uh, handling the Nats most of the year, you know, won 11 of the last 16 between the teams and all that. They said losing the way they did in the in the NLDS, and then Dansby pointed out watching the Dodgers uh, uh, or the Nats win that night, uh, you know, the the day the Braves lost just was like another dagger but they all talked about being so motivated now and talking about how it's their turn they feel like it's their turn they're gonna make it their turn now um freddie had a comment he said uh on the flurry of offseason moves the praise made he said yeah I, I think it's been great we went out fat he, alex went out fast again just like he did last offseason got the guy he wanted." who we thought we needed. When you look at the bullpen now, you let you have Luke Jackson coming in the sixth inning. That's pretty good. 96, 97 with that slider. He said, you feel comfortable getting Cole Hamels. I think Max Fried is going to be pretty phenomenal this year. Uh, even better than he was last year. Mike Soroka, We know, I think Fulty is going to be 2018 Fulte. And then you got a lot of young studs. So this is a good team, a really, really good team that has a chance to win this thing. Uh, Freddie said about Azuna. um, so he's been a thorn in our side a long time, especially with the Marlins. He's a great power hitter, great hitter. I think everyone loves. Oh, and he said he's going to give him some shit about that play in, uh, when Ozuna went up on the wall a couple years ago <laughs> and the ball landed on the warning track. Yeah, he's not living so, that down
0: anytime soon. Yeah, yeah,
1: he said he's going to give him some crap about that. Um, but he's a big threat in the middle of our lineup. He said our lineup is deep. Travis Darno, that's huge. We had a dec- he had a great season last year. Just lengthened our lineup and Dansby. Hopefully, we have first half Dansby from last year. When you get hurt in the middle of the season and lose 30 games like he did, it's tough to get your timing back. I think he's going to be all star caliber again. And he said, well, We got Ronald at the top of the lineup and Ozzy. We're in good shape. Uh, he likes third base. He thinks uh, both those guys have so much upside. Uh, and then he said, This Braves team in general, Freddie said, When you look at our team, it's actually a pretty complete team. Everyone in the last couple of years would say, Well, if you had this or that area, you know, that you could have done better. And he said, but when you look at our look at it now, our bullpen is strong, our starting pitching staff is strong, and our lineup is strong. He said, that excites me. Alex has been busy this offseason. I think he spent a lot more money than people were expecting. It's exciting to see. We're going for it. We have a great team, and we've got a great chance to win the World Series this year. e um, the one that said, it's our turn. Uh, and then, and then, oh, and then regarding Josh Donaldson, just uh, because a lot of people, a lot of people were thinking, you know, that he had some loyalty that should have shown to the Braves and all that stuff, and they were disappointed in him leaving. Fans wise, players didn't feel like that at all, as you would, as you can imagine. Um, Austin Riley said, "It's just one of those things where it's a business. He's going to try to get as much money as he can. Good for him for getting what he wanted." Uh, Dansby said was asked about the disappointment of losing Donaldson. And Dansby said, anytime you have a great player like J.D. to go somewhere else, I don't know if disappointing is the right word. He said, it's one of those things where it's kind of sad, you know. He fit in so well here. We enjoyed his competitive nature. We enjoyed what he brought to the field. Yet, we also really, really enjoyed things outside the field that he was able to do for us. I thoroughly enjoyed having him as a teammate. He's been one of my favorites. But, you know, it's a little bit sad seeing him go, but he made the choice of what he believed was best for him. And I mean, try... And be a true friend, that's all you can really ask for. I'm happy for him. I knew he loves hitting that part in Minnesota. his career numbers there are great I, so I wish him nothing but the best and hopefully he'll be able to we'll be able to play him at some point this year, which would be the World Series. so yeah, I'm really excited for him and then uh snit finally on um, Donaldson said, I reached out to him after he signed. I was watching it from afar because I wanted the guy back. I think everybody did he's got he's got to go out and do what he can do for himself and his family though i wish him nothing but the best he was a big part of what he, we did last year uh but i'm happy for him i would have loved to have him back he'll be a great asset to a really really strong you know twins team
0: i think players are never going to be mad at you for taking a better offer yeah. <laughs> you know if if he got if he took yeah a terrible offer you know somewhere else to not be on the team anymore he'd be kind of like man what the hell you know yeah. what, what's what happened <laughs> i thought i thought yeah. he liked it here but um, you know, we've talked about it in the past that teams don't necessarily give you a we like you bonus at the, at the end of, or an extra year on the contract because they like you. I mean, yeah. teams take a strictly business approach and there's kind of this, this tough standard set on players where they're supposed to take these hometown discounts and, and, and a lot of guys actually do. But there's, there's really not a lot of hometown bonuses going around. Teams, especially these days are, are staying strictly business with their decisions. So, yeah. um, teammates are never mad at you when you take the best deal for you and your family. Everybody understands that's a risk. Um, going into free agency, you might lose them. Um, obviously he, it hurts a lot to, to lose JD. Um, he brought a lot to the team, but like, you know, like Freddie said, it's this team, there's not the only, the only real hole is, is youth. You know there's there's some yep. guys that you yeah. don't you don't 100 know how they're going to respond right. in their second first second third year in the big leagues and what to expect from them that's a the nice thing about having a guy like Freddie is you can pretty much pencil him in for hitting 290 with 30 homers maybe better every year yeah um as long as he's healthy old guys the question Mark's health but um he's not really old yet I think that right. this team though there's really not some glaring hole you forget how deep the bullpen is um, and there's a lot of competition <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the starting rotation um, there's there's not some glaring need anymore after they got Ozuna, so but, you know I don't see them really doing much else, and and they're fine not doing much else. But you never know.
1: And your and your boy, by the way, Nuke, he is jacked up about getting a start again, man. He is yeah, fired I think he's, up. I, he "I, said, I feel like
0: he's John Lester. I feel like he could. I feel like he can be a, a huge piece for the team. Exactly I'm on his what bandwagon." You said all
1: about, the way what, exactly what you said too about chip on the shoulder. He said yeah. that's it. He said I haven't have. He goes he. He understood the move to the bullpen, and he was able yeah. to learn a lot from it, you know, about pitching with your back against the wall in the late innings, no room for error and all that. He said, but he still always saw himself as a starter, and to have that taken away, as he put it, he said, it lights a huge fire under me.
0: Yeah, said, and and guys like being again. starters guys like yeah. being starters you know you got your routine you know when you're throwing it's all comfortable you have a day that's all about you um the bullpen's kind of I mean it's a huge adjustment for guys that were starters and and a lot of times guys go to the pen they learn how good they have it as a starter and they're just that much more motivated not to lose that again so like he you know he said he's had that taken away from him guys yeah. with a chip on their shoulder that happen to throw 96 left-handed with a disgusting curveball are you know great yeah. assets to an organization <laughs>
1: He said, uh, you know, he pointed out something too. Somebody said, asked him, do you think you could still fulfill all the expectations people had of you when they traded for? You? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Because I know a lot of people don't look at it this way, but I'm still, I still think I'm settling in as a pitcher. He pointed out that he he said he's always a three sport guy growing up and in high school and everything, you know, and from Boston area. So they didn't have the year round baseball and stuff, but he said he's really only been a pitcher starting pitcher all the time for six or seven years. So he feels like he's just settling in. I mean, that's what, those are his words. Uh, so he's not lacking any confidence.
0: Well, he's young too.
1: Yeah, yeah. You very young. It's not young. like
0: he's twenty seven, twenty eight. He's what right. is he twenty yeah. four?
1: Yeah, yeah. So a young
0: guy. most guys aren't even in the big leagues yet. So to already have that experience under his belt and a young, fresh arm, uh, he's he's dangerous. And I've been on his bandwagon since the first time I saw him throw. Because certain guys, man, the ball just has this hissing sound when it comes out of your hand, uh-huh. and he has it. He has an explosive fastball. His curveball is really good. He's going to be around Hamels. Maybe the changeup rubs off, but um, I don't know. I hope he doesn't let me down because I I feel like yeah. I feel like he can he can surpass the expectations of what people expect him to be big time just just based on his his um, skill set and his his arm. He's yeah. he's got a special there's
1: a lot, arm. There's a lot of good stuff we'll talk about it in the next podcast. But there's like Hamels and Freed we're talking about yeah you because know, Freed because B Mac uh, compared Freed to Hamels, to a young Hamels, yeah, And Freed said the same thing, you know, he's got that change up that I've been working on. And he said he's really looking forward to picking Hamill's brain at spring training. And Hamill said, you know, he th- he already throws a lot harder than I did back then. But he's yep. really looking forward to working with Freed and the other young guys. He's at that point of his career where he really wants to share like the guys like Roy Halladay and Roy Oswald and Cliff Lee did with him when he was coming up. Uh, so he... He's fired up about that part uh, of being with the Braves, too. And he loves the chemistry and the atmosphere that he's seen since he's been here. It's everything he hoped it would be. So he's really – Hamels is really excited going into spring training. Uh, uh, You know, just one other thing. I was – you know, I've pointed out a lot of times I've said I thought it's worked against the Braves. Going back to the Bobby Cox years when they had the 100-win teams that clinched so early – I've thought it's always, almost always worked against them and a bunch of other teams to clinch early. And then you spend a week or two, you know, resting guys, setting your rotation, and yeah, all that, and then trying to flip a switch. And we've seen so many wildcard teams go deep into playoffs or win it all, like the Giants did once. The Marlins have done it twice. I mean, the other teams have done it.
0: Nationals Dansby did it said last year.
1: Yeah, and Dansby said something that, yeah, the Nationals did it last year. Dansby said something along the exact same lines, and I, I thought it was really good. Uh, I asked about watching the Nats win the World Series after you'd played them so well all year was that how frustrating was that and he said uh I think about them being a hot team about getting hot and going in the uh, yep. the, the postseason that's hot all it is. he said I think he said the more you see in sports in general I think that's the biggest key right other than maybe basketball but you look at the NFL and the teams that are in it they may have been they may not have been considered the best teams but they're also playing the best or they may have been considered the best teams, but they're also playing the best going into the postseason. And that's something that I think it's almost a skill learning how to be on your best at the best at the end of the year and getting to the point where you're able to play consistent and focused ball at the end of the season when it really, really matters. Not that games in April and May and all that don't count. They do, but because every game matters, but being able to learn how to dial it in as the season gets towards the end. I think the hardest thing for us there has been to manage it, uh, to manage there's been to manage is for us to clinching with like a week, a week and a half left, because it's easy to kind of let up and relax, especially with having those games where it's like, all right, let's get some guys, some rest and stuff. Sometimes that can work against you. Not saying that's the reason we lost the last couple of years in the division round, but I mean, that can definitely play a role. There's always been, there's always something that you can learn from people about how to play your best at the end of the season. So I think that's yeah, just- well aware of that too.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing I was talking about. You know, with an individual, where any time you get comfortable, you know, the game will just humble you and 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 sneak up on you. It's really hard for teams to to flip that switch in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, if if yeah. you let your guard down at any time in baseball, it'll just eat you alive. And it, yeah. it's a it happens from an individual standpoint and a, a team standpoint that um it can it can work against you. But that's why teams, you know, that's why a lot of teams, the Phillies used to do it. They played their starters through the end of the season. You know, uh-huh. like we were trying to make the playoffs September twenty eighth and eleven, and and uh-huh. they they played us like it was Game Seven of the World Series, and and we were kind of you know, yeah, pissed about that. I guess, yeah. But That's 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 the mindset where you can just never let your guard down in this game, and and it, it or it'll sneak up on you. So, um, I think they learned from it, and but you know, I don't think that's what happened. I think some guys just happened to suck, and and Freddie was hurt, and and he yeah, had was a bad hurt, start last and, week. and Acuna was hurt. Yeah. I don't think that's what it was, but it's still something you learn from. And, and, and it's really just a mindset you have to have. So it's, it's just cool seeing a guy like Dansby figure all that out so early.
1: Yeah. All right, man, that's it. We've rambled and rambled and we'll be back in a week. And then we're going to start the two a week, uh, shows soon here when we get to spring training and start playing games. So things are ramping up now. It's going to be, it's going to be busy especially, uh, uh, as we get close to spring training, it's only two weeks now, two weeks away now for the uh, pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> Too fast, so it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot to talk about, and I think the Braves' outlook is a whole lot better since they signed Azuna the other day. But... Absolutely. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for hanging in there, and sorry we had to ramble so far. I hope you guys are listening to us all the way to the end, and you're not uh, <laughs> falling asleep.
0: If not. 7- we fifty-five. <laughs> it's
1: been real, and we are out. Thanks. All right. There